Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this opportunity to gather together in your name and around your gifts, especially as we now engage your word. Lord, speak to us this morning as we talk about the world in which we live today, a world that is marked by so many things, and a world that sometimes is a struggle for us. We pray, Lord, that as you speak to us, as we hear your word, that you would give us comfort and peace and remind us of what it means to be Christians who live in this world that we live in today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this weekend, we are going to talk about uh, how do we live as Christians in the midst of this world we live in today and, and where this came from was over the past month, almost two months, so many people have come to me and said, Pastor, I don't even recognize this world sometimes. The hostility, the unrest, the brokenness, the pain, the, the violence, the anger, just everything going on. And, and, and how do we even react to this? Can we pray for it? But what do, we, what do we do? How do we as Christians live in this world in which we live today? And so I want to talk about that this morning. As I was praying about it and preparing for this, uh, this past week, my son did something that reminded me about how we live and how this world lives uh, that I think is relevant for today. And what my son did is something that if you've had children, your son or daughter probably did, is, is came running up to me, jumped on my leg, sat on my foot, clung to it as hard as possible, and said, Dad, walk with me. Have you ever had that happen before? And they're on your foot and then you're lifting them up and you're walking with them and carrying around the house. And so, so which is a lot of fun for them and is kind of fun for dad for a while. And then you get tired and you're like, all right, buddy, it's, we're done. Like, like, it's over with. We're not doing this anymore. You're getting bigger and my knee is getting older and I can't do this. I have too many wrestling matches. And so I say, you need to get off. And my, my son goes, no. No, no, buddy, get off my knee right now. Get off my leg. He's like, no. So I did what any loving, caring, compassionate dad does, and that is I shook him as hard as I could with my foot, right? I'm just shaking him like, get off my leg. And he just, and he thought it was fun. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is supposed to get you off it, not to entertain you more. So finally I had to reach down and pry him off and pick him up and hold him, and then he just clung to me. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how we cling to so many things in our life, and we just hold on for dear life. It starts when we have little children or when we were little children and we clung to our favorite stuffed animal or our favorite blanket. And that was the thing that we had to have in order to fall asleep. Some of you know what that's like because your children, when they leave that favorite stuffed animal or blanket at a house that you were visiting an hour, hour and a half away, you will literally drive back that hour, hour and a half to pick it up because you know that they're not sleeping, which means you're not sleeping if they don't get that. So you drive there because you need it. They need it, right? You cling to it. Our teenagers cling to something. Right? <laughs> I mean, be honest, like, like if you took this away, if they lost this, they'd be like, I don't even know how to function anymore. Right? Like, how do you live in a world without a cell phone? And some of you were like, I know, because I lived there, right? So, so but, but they cling, like, this is everything. This is why, again, as I said before, when they're dating, they're usually dating their phone just as much as they're dating the other person because they're looking there half the time, all right? And as adults, we cling to things. 
We cling to our identity. We cling to our job titles. Uh, we cling to our jobs. We cling to our professions. We cling to our livelihoods. We cling to our, whatever we value. We cling to these things. And in this world today, what we see, and many of us see, is we feel like what is clinging to this world is hostility and division and brokenness and pain and anger. And we turn on the TV and the radio and we open up the newspaper or you go to Yahoo News or whatever your favorite news source is and you go, man, what a, what a crazy world we live in. A world of CNN and Fox News, of fake news and, and news all over social media. News that is sensationalized to create emotion and visceral reactions within people because, well, frankly, emotional news sells, doesn't it? And it also creates votes if you're trying to get votes. A world filled with elections and, and the constant barrage of, of those who got phone calls during election season. I don't know if you were one, but I was getting phone calls all the time of, of is this a blue state or a red state? Who is going to be the governor and, and, and how is this going to affect 2020? And I, so many people say, do you think that this is going to be over when the elections are over? Well, as soon as the elections were over, it already turned to two years from now, didn't it? I mean, this is a never-ending thing. The world of gun control and abortion, of rights of different groups, hatred and riots, protests, and the escalation of, of divisions, whether political or racial or socioeconomic divisions, the divisions of values and beliefs. And if you don't already feel the tension after talking about those things, just imagine if I were to ask you, what is the first word you think of when I say the following? Republican, Democrat, Trump, Obama, Kavanaugh, extreme right groups, extreme left groups, Tony Evers, Walker, immigration, terrorism, gun control, Wall Street, and the divides between everybody on what they believe is right and wrong continues to grow. We live in a world in which it seems to be defined by those who are most offended and people who are looking to be offended by something. In fact, um, I opened up Yahoo News, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and uh, there was a news article, I didn't read it, but it says, uh, uh, people are now offended by Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. I don't know what it says, so I don't know if I should be offended or not yet, so, but I'll read it later, but people were offended by it. And so we're in a world where people seem to be constantly offended, and when you're offended, what do you wanna do? Offend people right back, don't you? And that just escalates things. It's like children in a snowball fight. At the beginning of a snowball fight, there are some rules to the snowball fight, right? Like these are my pile of snowballs and, and you're over there and, and we're on teams or this is my fort and that's your fort. But all of a sudden, somebody gets hit in the face with a snowball and the rules are gone, right? And now it's who's gonna get planted face first into the snow, and then after they're face first in the snow, it's, it's can I drop snow down the back of their, their clothes and everything because I got hit in the face, so I need to get you back, and then, and then it's all bets are off, and it just escalates. And can I tell you what the problem about escalating fights is, is that nobody ever wins, ever. Because the offense is never equal. You will never feel that you are giving offense to the degree in which you received it. You will always believe you have received a greater offense than you have given to somebody else. And it escalates day after day, word after word. 
And we live in a world in which we believe that opinion is truth. And my opinion and my belief is my truth. And then I surround myself with the people who believe and think the way that I think and believe and, and, and come up with the same opinions I have so I can reinforce my opinions to a greater effect so I can be more bold and more aggressive with my opinions. And we cling to those opinions and we cling to our ideologies as if they are truth and it begins to divide us. And we live in a world where it's no longer about toleration. But if you were to love somebody, you don't only affirm their lifestyle, but you have to accept their lifestyle as truth and honorable and right. And we look at this world and there are many of us who go, I don't even recognize this world anymore. Like, how do, we, how do we deal with this? How do I handle this world? And it's, it's continuing to get worse. When is it going to get better? Jesus addresses this. In Matthew chapter 10, he talks about the world in which we live in and where it is going. And it says, it says that brother will deliver brother to death and a father is child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He doesn't give a rosy picture about the world we live in. He says, you're gonna face hostility and brokenness and pain. Or, or we just read our gospel before, and I always love how we finish gospels like this. We, we read, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are all but the beginning of birthplaces or, or the beginning of birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Really? Right? You're like, that's not the world I wanna live in. But it's the reality of the world we do live in. And the reality of the fact that these are the beginning of birth pains as things grow more difficult and harder and there are greater struggles and division and hostility. And so the question that we ask ourselves in the midst of this is, is how do we as Christians live in the world we live in today? In the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of, of being in churches where there are a lot of ideological differences, even in the churches in which we are a part of, how, how, do, we, how do we as Christians do life together as brothers and sisters in Christ? And so I want to talk about that using the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. As we look at that, I encourage you to open up to that and, and because I think these words are so significant. Understand this, that if, if as you were thinking about this message, you were thinking that I'm going to give some sort of political message on one side or the other, that is not what I'm going to give you today. It doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat or independent or whatever political party you're a part of or your background, or, or, or any of those ideological things, I want to give you what Paul gives us some principles of how do we live in a world filled with divisions today. But as we think about this, I want to talk about the world in which Paul lived to start. Because Paul's world was not a whole lot different than ours. Paul's world was a world that was also filled with divisions and hostility and brokenness and pain and persecution and violence and tension. In fact, Paul himself faced this. Paul talks about how he faced that division and that brokenness and he faced violence. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, 
On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rimbers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles. I was danger in cities such as Jerusalem and Rome, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. He lived in a world where, where Jews and Romans and Christians had constant tension and unrest with one another. And the first question we have to ask is if that's the world we live in, should we even engage in this world? Like, should we as Christians just mind our own business and keep our religious beliefs out of the world and, 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 and the culture today? As so many believe and have said, you know, we have this separation, so should we just separate our religious beliefs from everything else? In the ancient world, in the time of Israel, when Israel uh, was a nation, they would oftentimes handle things in one of four ways. One of the ways that they would handle things is they would isolate themselves. Meaning that they would build their city away from trade routes, away from popular places, away from other cities. And they said, you know what, if we isolate ourselves and just, just completely keep ourselves fully separate from everybody else, then we'll never have to worry about the tension and the unrest going on around us and we'll just protect ourselves that way. And there are people who believe that. Like Christians should just, we should just isolate ourselves and isolate our beliefs from everything. Another way they lived was they would insulate themselves, meaning they wouldn't move from trade routes. They might be in popular places. They might have lots of visitors come around, but they would build walls with a gate. And they would insulate themselves by only allowing the right people in and keeping the wrong people out. And that is a philosophy that some Christians have as well. Like we should only allow the right group of people around us, people who look like us and act like us and, and value the things that we value. And we just need to insulate ourselves from everybody else around us. The third way is they would assimilate. They would say, well, if this is the way that the culture lives, if this is what the culture believes, then we need to assimilate to the culture since it says this is okay, we should too. This is why you actually, if you ever go to uh, Israel and you look at some of the ancient ruins, uh, there's a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, that on the floor of the synagogue, in the tiling, has a, has a, has a zodiac. And you're going, what is a zodiac doing in a Jewish temple? Well, they assimilated some of the pagan beliefs of the day. Well, I remember I went to a temple when I was there. And in that temple, they, they had an altar to Yahweh, an altar to the Lord. And then they had an altar to the Lord's wife, Yahweh's wife. And you're going, uh, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, you're right. There, God does not have a wife in the Bible. So where in the world did this people get this idea that they're going to have an altar to God and an altar to his wife? Well, Baal had a wife and Zeus had a wife and, and all these other cultures had wives. And so they assimilated some of the pagan beliefs around them to theirs. And so some people said, well, we need to assimilate. We, we need to, to value what the world values and compromise with the world. And then the fourth way that they would do it is they would fight. If somebody came in with a different belief system, they would seek to eradicate them. Let's just attack them. Let's fight them. Let's destroy them. What I think we're going to see in Romans chapter 12 is that Paul gives us a fifth way, a better way of living in the world we live in today. Romans chapter 12. Follow along with me as I read just portions of it. In fact, when you read this, what's interesting is, is compared to a lot of other Paul's writings, this almost seems like it was written by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Really short, concise statements that we can take to heart about how God calls us to live. He starts with this. Let love be genuine. In fact, if you read Paul, love is the ethical standard of Christians in the world in which we live today. Love. 
This word, let love be genuine, that word genuine gives this kind of connotation. It's, the, it's an artistic picture of somebody who, who creates a piece of art. Think Picasso or Michelangelo or someone like that. And they create this beautiful piece of art. And then somebody else comes along, another artist comes along who sees that piece of art and they bring their own canvas, canvas with their own paints and they sit down and they repaint the picture that was done by the master. And then after copying it on their own, they sell it under the name of the original as if it was the original, but it's only a fake. That's what he's saying. He says, says, don't let your love be hypocritical. Don't let your love be fake. Let it be genuine. Let it be the real deal. Because that's the love we're supposed to show. Now, when Paul talks love, he doesn't speak love as this like lovey-dovey, Valentine's feeling type thing, although he certainly is talking about how we show compassion and care for others. But he's also going to say we need to show tough love. And if you're a parent, you understand that that there are times where your children need tough love. You need to speak tough truths. And teaching that truth, sharing that truth with them is an act of genuine love and care and concern for them. And so that's why we would hear, speak the the, the truth, but speak the truth in love. In fact, notice he says that in the next time. He says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. He's saying you have to hate what is evil. You should have nothing to do with it. Do not compromise a biblical worldview for a secular worldview. Do not assimilate to this culture, but abhor what is evil. Abhor what is not of God's. Abhor what is of the lifestyles that this world would uphold. And what we see throughout the scriptures is this, is just because the world recognizes something doesn't mean God does. The world can recognize different lifestyles as being viable, but God doesn't recognize what the world does. God recognizes what is the truth. And we're not to compromise, to assimilate, but we're to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good as defined not by us, but by God. Love one another with brotherly affection. That word that is used there in the Greek is Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. He says, love one another with that brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine if we just lived by that principle. Right? Like that's the opposite side of escalating things the wrong way. Like if you want to compete for something, don't compete for being right. Compete for showing compassion and honor to one another. Imagine if we just did that. Could you imagine our political scene if political candidates who are, who are debating each other just tried to outdo each other in honoring the other person? It would be a completely different kind of debate, wouldn't it? That's what God calls us to. Outdo one another by not hurting one another or convincing one another or clinging to yourself, but outdoing one another by showing honor and respect for the other person. Do not be slothful or slow in doing good to others in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Notice he says you will have tribulation. There will be suffering. We live in a world of unrest and tension, but in the midst of it, have hope. Have the hope that Jesus tells us where in John chapter 16 he says, he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Like you will face suffering, you may face persecution, and there will be Christians who even face death. But take hope in the midst of that because you have the promise of eternal life. And there is no pain or suffering in this world that can compare to the promise and the glory and the comfort and peace that comes in the life eternal. Find hope in tribulation. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
That word hospitality, when it's talking about hospitality, it's actually saying care for those that are different from you. He starts off by saying, contribute to the needs of the saints, but besides that, care for those who look different than you, who speak different than you, who have different ideologies, who are of different political parties than you. Even reach out to them and everyone. Show hospitality to all people because they're people. Just like you and me. Show hospitality to everyone. Paul continues and he goes on, he says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Notice again, this is the de-escalation, right? Instead of if somebody speaks evil against you, you should speak positively, speak in kindness. Don't return to them what they have returned to you. Bless them instead. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. When, when Paul speaks live in harmony with one another, the reason he says that and what's behind that is he's saying, look at other people as God looks at them. See other people in the way that God sees them because how you view someone is how you will treat them. Right? So if you view somebody as the enemy, you're going to treat them as the enemy. And, and this is some of what we see in this world today, filled with unrest and hostility and division. That if I see you of a different political background, or if I see you of a different ideology, if I see you of a, uh, of a different understanding, or of a different language, or of a different people group, different socioeconomic status, that, that instead I look at you as the enemy, and if I see you as the enemy, I'm going to treat you as the enemy. But if I view you in the way God views you, then I'm going to treat you differently. If I see you as I should see everybody, as somebody who is made in the image of God, who has been paid for and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to treat them differently, won't I? View people as God views them. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Meaning don't prop yourself up. It's the difference between carrying a clipboard and carrying a towel. And so many people today carry a clipboard. And when you carry a clipboard, you do what, what managers who carry clipboards do when they, when they go through the stores, right? And they start checking things off. That looks good. That doesn't look good. You shouldn't have done this. You should do this, right? And you start critiquing everything when you carry a clipboard. But what God says is don't carry a clipboard, but carry a towel. Just like Jesus did. When he got down on his knees, he washed the disciples' feet, and he dried them off. Carry a, clip, carry a towel, not a clipboard. Never be wise in your own sight. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we always believe we know what is best. What he's saying is this, don't be wise in your own eyes, but be wise in the eyes of the Lord. Use godly wisdom. You know, we do that in every area, whether it's at home or at church or in our workplaces. Like, we always have the best way. Saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then for me, the crux of it all is verse 18. Would you read verse 18 with me? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let that sit in for a second. See what he's saying there? He says, as far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. Now, in order to live at perfect peace, you have to have both sides who want peace, right? 
Both sides have to want to, to live at peace with one another. And so Paul doesn't say live perfectly at peace with other people. He doesn't say live in partnership with other people. He says, doesn't say make sure you agree in everything with other people. He says, as far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. Meaning on your side of the equation, you can't control how they act. You can't control how they react. You can't control what they do. All you can do is control how you act and how you react. So as far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. And then notice it says, live at peace with who? Everyone. It doesn't say live at peace with those who have the same political background or are of the same political party as you. Don't live at peace with those who, who look like you and act like you and, and speak like you. He doesn't say even live at peace with those who believe like you. He says, live at peace with everyone, with all people live at peace. And then the fact is you and I, we're not good at that because we like to escalate things. When I was wrestling, I, I wrestled in the finals of a tournament and, and I lost to this, uh, this kid, I think it's seventh or eighth grade. And after he beat me, I remember that he stood over me, both fingers in the air. I mean, he walked up and stood right over the top of me like this. And, 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 and he said a few choice words, which were not very nice. And I won't repeat here in church, but he stood over the top of me like that. And I was not very happy. So the next tournament, I found out we were in the same bracket and uh, we wrestled in the finals again. And this time I did not lose. I beat him like 13 nothing. That's not the point of the story, but just had to throw it out there. And, uh, and I beat him. And, uh, but here's the point is we were going off the edge of the mat. And after as we were going off the edge of the mat, the referee blew his whistle to get us back to the middle. The referee turned his back, walked to the center of the mat. And as I saw the referee turn his back and he started uh, to, to, to stand up, I used him to stand up and shoved him into the second row of the bleachers and walk to the middle. Did I want to live at peace with him? No way. I wanted my, I wanted to repay him evil for evil. And God says, no, 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 no. As far as it concerns you, it doesn't matter what he does. As far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. It says, beloved then, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Meaning, listen to people. Not so you can respond and prove them wrong, but listen to other people so you can understand them and live in peace and partnership, live in peace and in love towards them. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The writer of the book of Proverbs talks about this when he says this. He says, if anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. For the beginning of strife is like letting out water, and, and that letting out water means like, like creating a break in a dam that causes a flood. He says, the beginning of strife is like letting out a flood, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. He says, stop. Return that evil with good. Do you know if you would go back through all of this, and if you would, as you read this, just put Jesus at the beginning of all of this, you would actually see that what you are called to do is to live no different than Jesus did. Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. Jesus lived in harmony with other people. Jesus was not haughty, but he carried a towel. Jesus sought to not be wise in his own sight, but in the eyes of his Father who sent him to give his life. Jesus did not repay evil for evil. And if you read through all of this, we are called to live just as Jesus did because Jesus tells us that when we live like he lives, we have the same victory of the one who says, take heart in the midst of tribulation, for I have overcome the world. What I believe when we read this is that Jesus gives us, through Paul, some principles to live by today. 
And here are those principles. He says, if you would just love genuinely, it would change everything. So love genuinely as God loves you. Be hope-filled and patient in oppression. Live at peace with others as far as it concerns you and speak the truth in love. Don't give up the truth, but speak the truth in love. After I preached this, somebody came up to me and they said to me, you know, Pastor, these are just great principles for how Bears and Packers fans should live. (laughs) True, true, right? But aren't these great principles just for how we should treat everybody? Just think about if, if every relationship, if every parent with children, if every husband with wife, with, if you with your in-laws, if you with your neighbors, and if, if a world was defined by people who loved genuinely, who lived with hope in the midst of oppression, who were at peace with one another or sought to be at peace and who spoke the truth in love, imagine how that would change everything. Imagine if we viewed people not by the labels we put on them, Democrat or Republican, as liberal or conservative, if we didn't live and define people by their ideologies and their backgrounds and the countries they came from, but if we define and view people as God did. Imagine how that would change everything. Imagine if we just lived by this one question, a question I believe we see as Paul would ask it, how can I fully love others as I am fully loved by God? In the midst of what my neighbor does to me, how can I fully love them as I am fully loved? How can I fully love my in-laws as I am fully loved? How can I fully love my children? How can I fully love those of different political bents? How can I fully love those of different ideologies? How can I fully love as I am fully loved? We as Christians today who live in this world of hostility and brokenness and pain, We're called not to isolate or insulate or assimilate or fight, but we are called to engage this world with the love of Jesus Christ, fully loving as we are fully loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is hard in the midst of the world today to figure out how do we as Christians live. And there are times we want to lash out and we want to hurt And we want to repay evil for evil, but you call us to a different way, a better way, the way of Jesus, who when he was insulted and persecuted and faced hostility and brokenness, when Paul faced that, returned that hatred with love, still speaking the truth and standing on the truth and standing for what is right and hating evil, but doing it in a way that showed their fully loving nature for others as they are fully loved. So Lord, help us to fully love to be at peace as far as it depends upon us and to live in the hope you give us as we are fully loved. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his everlasting peace. Amen.